solved it, solved it and it's good and we've solved it and that's great. Cool. Oh man. So um, if you've enjoyed this episode. (laughs) Oh boy. I apologize for the delay, but technologicals got in the way there a little bit. But the good news is that now that I've set this up, I've actually found functionality that I'll be able to perhaps make my life easier going forward. Excellent. And when your life's easier, my life's easier. Does it change that that much for you? Does my yeah, I think effective... it does. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. I think it does. It just means that I'm getting less of the, uh, you know, the trickle down anxiety slash stress <laughs> passive aggression. Yeah, that's what it does. This podcast, there's not a lot of stress in this pod, mm. but you know, I think it does trickle down, and you know, me being at the the bottom of the two, <laughs> of the two man operation. Uh, yeah, I just like it. Kind of just pulls, but luckily, I'm. It's like when water you, off a duck's uh, tits. When you back. say um, the bottom half, what I'm picturing here is like a two person horse costume. And I'm at the front sort of standing up and yep. you're the one behind, like holding my hips. That's a very, <laughs> that's a very accurate analogy of what, <laughs> how this podcast operates. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm the, I'm the, uh, I'm the back legs. You're the back Actually, legs. Actually, the back that's stable. The that's ba- where speed comes from, you know? I guess so. You're steering, but I'm driving it. And I like that. Well, and uh, also you know, like in, in terms of like fending off attackers, back legs you're doing all the work like no one's kicking with a front with a horse yeah with a horse that you're that's you that's sort of the primary role isn't that a strange evolutionary defense technique like it's one of the only animals that their their defense is to kick from the back rather than to do everything from the front where you can see presumably the the uh threat yeah i suppose horses do do the rear up like the hot stand oh, yeah. on the hind legs and like put the front legs out there, which is a little bit more sort of front facing. But you're right, like yeah. very skittish with a horse. Like that's a blind kick. Like they're not looking. That's a blind they're kick. just like somebody touched me. Fucking, I'm gonna murder it. Yeah. <laughs> which, to be honest, I respect. Yeah. The um. Oh, I had something super funny to say about that, but it's gone. Okay. Well, it's be really funny maybe though. we can just leave a pause here so that the people at home can fill in a laugh and enjoy it regardless. Yeah, maybe leave a 50-minute pause. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like most of my podcasts are just a, a big vacuum waiting for you to supply your own laughter. Yeah, again, very accurate description <laughs> of the podcast. Just a big <laughs> vacuum of laughter. Oh, welcome to Dinghorn, everybody. (laughs) This is a podcast that brings happiness to those who need it. And we don't even charge. We don't charge a thing. We just ask. Well, we don't really ask anything either. It's just sort of, it's all on the honor system, I guess. Sitting through the internet with me this week, my friend Michael. Hey. Hey, Nick. Hey, everyone. How's almost married life? It's good. It's good. Um... That wasn't really convincing, was it? Um, <laughs> it is. It is. Life is good. You know, like I said last episode, I feel like a bit more grown up. It's been nice to get the um, get some messages from people after the last episode, after the uh, announcement. Yeah. Uh, a, a few from your friends as well, which I thought was really sweet. Oh, that's like nice. these guys that like I don't really know. I've never met. 
yeah. just through the pod, you know, it's have a, like a, a, a kind of a vague relationship with um, just from chatting here and there. But, you know, it's nice to nice to hear that people are reaching out and like actually being sincere rather than, you know, making jokes. Um, <laughs> is that what characterizes what my family other- did? Yeah. 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 So thank you for the sincerity coming from um, from New Zealand because um, yeah, I kind of needed it. Okay. What fill us in here on a little bit of the uh, the counter um, tone? Like, what what were you getting from uh, friends and family back home? Back home. Oh, there's a little bit of like you know <clears throat> on the lighter end. Um, didn't think you had it in you. Um, can't believe you found someone that's you know willing to commit to you. Uh, and then kind of on the nastier end, um, you're a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> and you shouldn't do this to Lauren. Okay, that's yeah. yeah that's that's um, a full spectrum. Then you you've seen all sides. Yeah, this like you know people calling me selfish um, for proposing to her, and I don't know. It's just it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> I did confide in you that I regretted the way that I handled it on the pod because um, you teed up the perfect opportunity when you announced your engagement for mm. me to say, I thought you were gay. And yeah. very funny. It just, it, the moment passed, you know, I was too sincere. I was too excited for you and I'll never be able to fix yeah. it. So I apologize. Yeah. Well, you could be able to fix it. I mean, you do edit the show. <laughs> True, I could go, I could fucking George Lucas If this. anyone could. Yeah. yeah, I could go back and do a, a special edition where, um, yeah. yeah, I fired off first. That's actually not a bad idea for a show. It's just like, you know, all those moments that you have in life where you're like, oh, I wish I said that. Yeah. You know, so much of my bandwidth, too much of my bandwidth in everyday life is filled with me just wishing that I said something different in a given situation <laughs> and then just kind of constantly rewriting that script and punching it up. And then yeah. in my head, this might go, this might speak to my inflated ego, but in my head, I'm a witty guy. I'm like, I'm zinging and zanging people all the time. You're Monday to Friday. And zanging. God. I, I'm zinging and zanging, baby. Sometimes I'm zonging. That's actually not too as much. good, but, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's still up there. But that, like, I think I start to, on sub subconscious level, believe that I am actually saying these things in those moments. But I, I rarely am. Yeah, you know, I, I, mean, I might, I might have had one or two really world class zingers, great timing in my entire life. Yeah. So, but but like, you can dine off those for a long time. But I'm a hundred percent there. Like, so much of my life. There's still shit like rattling around in my head from like a decade ago where I think about yeah. and like cringe where I'm like, oh, why, why did it play out that way? Why didn't I just say, why did I do the, you know, embarrassing thing? Like, oh God, it's endless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually I was talking to Lauren the other day about like, are there, are there still embar- embar- embarrassing things in your life that you think about way too much? Oh. Like. Have you got one? Sorry, yeah, sorry. I thought you were. I, I yeah. thought you were going to say that <laughs> that Lauren had an answer to that. But no, you're asking me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've got classics we've talked about on the the pod before. I still think about like my year seven choir performance where we were yeah. singing the Lion King. Well, not the Lion boy. King. Boy, the yeah, the it's the you and thing. me, boy. 
which is not like that's funny because i i think about that for you i think about your embarrassing (laughs) moments yeah yeah um for those who didn't hear that and don't want to scrub back through 215 prior episodes the context there is we were singing uh it wasn't lion king it was toy story um you got a friend in me randy newman um and there was a choir performance and of course the best part of that song is when randy newman goes it's you and me boy and then as a choir the conductor had made the the choice that we would say it's you and me and then just stop but in my head i was just singing singing the toy story version like all day every day and then it came to the performance in front of the whole school and it everyone sings it's you and me and i go boy (laughs) and i'm the only person (laughs) who sings i love that story and i love immediately realize what happened people around me in the choir turn to look at me audience looks at me conductor looks at me and smiles oh i was mortified i'm sure i was crying at the end of that performance i like <laughs> i still think this is like way, 20 years ago very very bold choice from the music director of that performance yeah to say we're not gonna do the boy we're not gonna do the boy oh, oh well. um I yeah I'll 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 give one as well I guess okay only if you um, feel like it I don't you know this is a safe space of course uh, the one that the one that I came to mind when Lauren asked me this was that um, I I used to go to school very early so it was like year three or year four but my parents used to drop me off like way earlier than I needed to be there because they had to go to you know school because being teachers and um, and there was this one kid who was also the son of a teacher. Um, and he would, he was a few years older than me and he would just, he would just fucking bully me relentlessly. So every morning I'm going to school and I'm like, oh man, it's just mono e mono with this prick <laughs> every morning and I'm just going to have to take it. And then one day I had a bit of, uh, what I thought was immunity. And so, um, I, I walk into school and there's in the courtyard and he's, he's there and he starts to pick on me again, and I said, "Hey, you can't, you can't be mean to me today." And he was like, "Why?" And I said, "Because it's my birthday," <laughs> and it was my birthday, and I thought he that like meant him. He would and what we do in the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> it's and my would... birthday. That's exact. That's that's in my head. That's exactly how I delivered it. <laughs> and I thought he would just go, "Oh, sorry, man. I didn't realize it was your birthday." Hey, happy birthday! How old are you? And instead, um, he did not do that. He, uh, he, he thought, oh, it's your birthday, okay. Birthday boy! And uh, proceeded to... It didn't feel to, as uh, nice, yeah. He bullied me even more. And uh, I've always remembered that, and that's maybe why I, I kind hate, of hate birthdays. birthdays. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, at least we can point to it. You know, like so many of our psychological issues, who knows, you know, where it came from. In some ways, yeah. it's like comforting to exactly know what caused your psychological hang-up one person in one specific moment yeah well i mean i don't think it's that much of a mystery for me i've got you know this uh bully in year three and my parents um so (laughs) (laughs) that's mystery hey now i mean you're you're entering a new level of maturity now maybe you'll find yourself suddenly empathizing with the challenges of adulthood now that you've you've crossed this rubicon into you know, married life up ahead. 
maybe all of a sudden yeah. you'll be like, you know what? They did a great job. Yeah, well, I do think that there is a little bit of that. Like you do, I'm, you know, <clears throat> oh yeah, I didn't mention on the last episode, no, that my cousin Dan and Grace, who you know very well, yeah. they got engaged, you oh. know, a month before we did. Congratulations, um, and they kind of, Dan and Grace. That's lovely. It is nice, but we're the but Dan was the first person in our family of you know in terms of the cousins that we see. You know, there's probably twenty of us, maybe fifteen, and they're all kind of older now. Like the oldest is you know forty five, yeah, and the youngest is Laura, which is almost thirty. So, and so no one's been engaged, no one's had kids, no one's you know, no one's even really own their own house so well, say what you will about I that mean, yeah <laughs> they're not alone in like our generation not owning houses but yes sure um but yeah it is kind of interesting that like both dan and i um got engaged you know within the month um and i can't guess there is like a feeling i think amongst the parents who you know i'm sure your parents have this as well that they when you get to an, an age a retirement age i guess if not before, that you're, what's the next thing? And I guess the next thing that you can be excited about is probably grandkids. Right. And and I think there is a bit of like, especially in my family, there was like, oh, is there going to be any, uh, is anyone going to procreate and Give continue this, this or yeah. is it going to die? And I think there is a little bit of, I do sense a little bit of relief from my parents about like, oh, okay, so, okay. That's at least there's going to be like there'll be one, one or two, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's um, such a weird assumption as well because I mean, how many people get married and don't want kids, and how many people have kids that aren't married? Like, it's not necessarily, yeah. you know, a proviso in either direction. No, it's not a proviso, but it's like heading in. There's a, there's a direction a where that could of like happen. a home life in the future where that could be a possibility. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, statistically. You know, my brother was probably more likely to get someone pregnant um, <laughs> as a single man. <laughs> so there was oh always that. But he might not have been around. <laughs> Jesus. Leave it in. I want to see if he listens. <laughs> <laughs> you can't use this as fucking bait. I do. I do want to use it as bait. Okay. Um, yeah, I want to get an angry text. <laughs> okay. Okay, great. Well... Hope you're doing well, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> actually, no, he said he said my mum's actually been listening to this podcast. It might be because I'm away. Um but he said like mum's been mum's been popping I think I sent you a, a, a screenshot of that message that mum's been popping a few sherries and just listening to Deep Four on the balcony <laughs> while she's in the sun. I don't really I, I just think it was sherries. I had a picture of like white wine, shardies, but it was sherry. She only drinks, she, she's not a big drinker, but she drinks sherry. And by the way, this is at like two o'clock in the afternoon. So this yeah. is my mum's golden age. Yeah. Where she's gone from being completely teetotal yeah. to why don't I just have an afternoon sherry in the sun and listen yeah. to my son's podcast? Well, I mean, fuck it. It sounds great to me. It sounds, I, I think mean, it most, sounds sad. <laughs> no, I think I mean, if there's one way to enjoy this podcast or guaranteed to improve your enjoyment, it's with Sherry, the most Christmassy of yep. the spirits. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is a Christmassy drink, isn't it? Yeah. Love it on like a like a pudding or something like that. That's all. It's all 
Or Brandy. Maybe I'm thinking of Brandy. Yeah. Uh, Either I don't way. Think, yeah. But it it is a it, getting getting a little festive here. You know, it's almost yeah. Halloween. Maybe this will be out on Halloween. Nick. Yeah. Feel yeah, a little spooky. Yeah. I um I that makes me a little nervous now talking about the time of year because I don't feel like I have done enough work on our Christmas songs yet. Um. So I will have to find time to do that. Hmm. Mm. Uh, so I don't have that much uh, on my list, Michael. But yesterday we were talking about Hassan Minaj, and his whole yeah. situation is something that I—it sort of passed me by. So can you um, can you fill me in? Yeah. So um, last month, um, a New Yorker article came out, kind of uh, ex- well, it, it was exposing Hassan for. Um, embellishing, and I think in the article they actually accused him of lying like about fabricating, cert- fabricating stories um, in his stand-up, uh, as well as in his Patriot Patriot Act show uh, that were yeah untrue. And um, the, in this interview, they kind of they one of the things he said, which was, I think it formed the headline of the article, was was. Hassan was calling these fabrications emotional truths, um, and it kind of, the article got picked up, and it was kind of a I don't know if scathing is the right word, but it didn't it didn't paint him in a in a good light at all. And the article got picked up by a bunch of other publications. Kind of it went viral on Twitter. I saw lots of talk shows um, talking about well, YouTube shows talking about it, discussing it, discussing whether there should be room for comedians to embellish stories for the sake of, of, of laughter and where that, where that line is between uh, truth and storytelling. And I guess, I guess that's what Hassan's just put out a, a defense video yesterday. He's basically arguing that, A, some of those stories are true, uh, which is um, counter to what the New Yorker article is, is saying. Um, but also he was doing... In, this, in the instances where he does admit to embellishing, he was doing it to serve a broad storytelling purpose. Um, and in some cases, he's you know he's arguing that you know maybe some things didn't happen exactly the way, but they the the emotional truth of it was that it was was what he wanted to retain in his stand up. And you know maybe he gave a line that someone else said to another person just to help the. Um, just to help the the kind of the flow of it move along. So yeah, I did think it was an interesting question whether uh, whether where is the line between uh, between fabricating stories uh, for storytelling and where is the line between you know holding that holding that truth? Yeah, I um, <clears throat> uh, what was I going to say? I think I he I. When I read that article, I did not think he came off well. But then, hearing his rebuttal, uh, I do kind of, I do kind of think he's being quite genuine. I think one of the other arguments in the article was that he was using racism uh, to kind of make himself look like a victim as well. He was accusing, well, the article was accusing him. He tells a story in one of his stand-up specials about being reject- rejected at prom by a girl because her family didn't want her to take a brown boy to prom. Um, I won't go into it, but like it turns out 
according to him, that that is actually true. It just didn't happen exactly the way he he portrayed it in the stand-up special. But yeah, um, we've talked before about like whether or not whether or not truth in comedy, like the facts, are uh, are are important to you as a as an audience member or as a as a viewer of comedy. Um, but yeah, what did you what did you take away from all that? Well, it, it's it's an interesting area, and like I said, I'd I'd missed this this stir when this had first come out. So I, I read through the article recently, and it definitely does not paint him in a very flattering light. I think the most infamous of his fabrications was a lie that he told that he had received a envelope of white powder that had got on his daughter and his daughter had been taken to hospital for fears that it might be anthrax. And that just didn't happen. Correct. Like he, he doesn't say that that was a real thing in the rebuttal, which I have not yet watched. No, he, he actually, he actually does address that. And he says that, okay, in the stand up special, he says that the anthrax, he got a, he got an envelope full of white powder. This is after, if you remember, um, there was that whole Saudi debacle where Netflix pulled the Saudi where the episode of the Patriot Act where he was criticizing the Saudi government. Yeah. So people came after him after that. He received death threats and stuff. But he does address that in in his uh, rebuttal slash apology video, I guess, um, saying that he did receive a, an envelope full of white powder, but no, the the powder did not fall on his daughter, as he says in the. Yeah, and the, and she uh, wasn't episode. taken to hospital. And not to hospital, no. Yeah, so that's. That's a very, to me, that's damning. Yeah. Now, I think there is a lot of nuance here and a lot of area in which truth in comedy is often emotional truth. It's not factual truth, right? When a comedian walks on stage and says, you know, yesterday I was at the um, service station and this guy, you know, came up to the counter. No one yep. literally thinks it happened yesterday, right? No. Like that factual time frame, it doesn't matter to the joke. But yep. I think most people would assume some version of that did happen to the person at a service station somewhat recently, right? Mm. And I think that if you're a stand-up, you have a lot of flexibility as to what the reality of the world that your stand-up persona exists in, how how that world operates and the rules of, of that comedy world. And people's different styles will take different things. Like some people are very real world grounded. Like if you're cracking jokes about politics and real people and things, then it has to hold true to the reality that we all share. Otherwise the joke doesn't work. If you're a narrative joke you know storyteller kind of stand up where you're pulling on your own life then that doesn't have to necessarily ring true factually if the story's good or if the joke's good so i think there's there's plenty of wiggle room there as a comedian and i don't think that you should really be holding them to some kind of fact checking process when the purpose of going into a room and sitting down and listening to a comedian is to laugh and that's the goal. And they're going to try and achieve that in the best way that they can. 
which often means rewriting a line that you kind of fumbled in the real world, but you say the thing that's funniest in the retelling of it. Yeah. And I think everyone, both audiences and comedians, are on the same page there. I don't know mm-hmm. that many audience members are saying, that didn't really happen, if they laughed, mm. right? I think the thing with Hassan, which makes this such an interesting gray area, is that, yes, he's a comedian, and yes, he does do that kind of stand-up, but this show that he was presenting is not comedy. It's much more in the faux journalist, opinion piece kind of discussion area, like The Daily Show was, or like John Oliver was. And when you're talking about issues like you're doing a fucking Vox explainer, then I think you owe the audience truthful accuracy. And I think that if Hassan chose in those moments where he's presenting like he's a journalist, presenting like he's doing an expose, a 60-minute story, you know, even if he's not a, a New York Times reporter... I don't think that there is really wiggle room, in my view, to then embellish a personal story just for added oomph. I think that crosses yeah. a line that that I'm not sure I could justify. Now he does he does differentiate um, between Hassan, the political comedian on Patriot Act and The Daily Show, and so on, and Hassan, the um, the comedian the stand-up comedian. And he says that in 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 the political comedy that he has done, um the he is not the he is not the main character in whatever piece he is doing. You know, it's, it exists outside of Hassan, but in his stand-up he is he is the central character. And so that's where he that's where he draws that line. Um I think it but does where matter did this, here. where did this happen? Where did the story about the anthrax happen? Yes, so I I believe this happened in a stand up in a stand up special. Okay. Um, so that that was his defense um, in the rebuttal video that he put out. So I do think it it does matter where where he does he tells 100%. the story. The other thing is with the, specifically with the anthrax um, embellishment. He is using he is he is the victim in this and i think there's a lot of like tension and release obviously in, in comedy and when you are using when you are using a kind of victimhood uh or you are you 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 are as the central character or your your family is the central character in whatever story you're telling if you are trying to elicit even if it is eventually for comedic a comedic purpose if you're using that to elicit some sort of sympathy and you know i think it's fair to fair like as you were kind of saying it is fair for people to think that anthrax when he says anthrax fell on my daughter that is people are going to have an emotional response to that yeah and they're going to be like oh my god that's that's horrible and i think that matters as well like if you were if you're using that's that's if you're using uh embellishment to elicit sympathy i think that people will feel a little bit robbed and i think they they are right to do so as well yeah i i think 
to me, that's actually quite off-putting because mm. it's enough to me to hear that he was sent anthrax, which did happen to him. You know, like yep. that's enough to prove the point to me. Like, oh shit, you know, you were really in a in a place there. Like, man, that that was awful. To me, it doesn't need further elaboration to be like, actually, it was on my daughter, and actually, we took it to the hospital because I'm all like, it doesn't make it any more. Like, that's an odd one to me because it doesn't. <laughs> it didn't need yeah, more juice out of it. He's trying to stretch out that yeah. tension. So that when the punchline comes, whatever it was, I don't remember, that it's kind of a bigger release. And I think that's disingenuous to the audience. I think the other interesting thing here is that is talking about platform, because this is a Netflix special when he talks about this, right? And the Patriot Act was a Netflix show, am I right? Yes. So these things are probably sitting side by side on the same, mm. you know, tiles on this screen and you, you watch an episode of Patriot yeah. and then you click over to the next one. You know, uh, there's a historical precedent in newspapers where you have the news pages and you have the opinion pages and the opinion pages are labelled opinion. And the same thing right. when you go into, like, the digital era. These days, it, you still have a distinguished... Uh, 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 not distinguished... A distinction between the idea that you're presenting an opinion and presenting the truth. Even Fox News does this with its hosts, where at a certain point it all becomes opinion. That distinction there on a Netflix um, interface is probably not good enough. Where if right. you're if you're trading on this guy that you like, if I because I bet you if you watch the Patriot Act, it will spit his special out yep. to you, and that yep. that blurs things in a way that perhaps was unintentional but doesn't make it easier to know, you know, he clearly sees a distinction between who he is in each mode. But ultimately, to the viewer at home sitting on the couch flicking through Netflix, Hassan standing in front of people talking is a pretty yeah. similar mode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't... Yeah, I agree that pe people aren't... They're not thinking about him that much to to make that distinction themselves. And it's not like he's not doing political comedy in his stand-up. Like, he is. Yeah. And he's also and referring he's to things. And with images and news and, like, it's, totally. it's multimedia. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. You can't really be expected as, like, a, just a, a, someone, a punter, who has never heard of, of, of Hassan, which most people haven't scrolling through Netflix, to be like, oh, okay, that's... That's that's different though. I yeah. think the other element here is though that um, uh, people love to people love a hypocrite, or they love to tear down a hypocrite. And I think there is an element of hypocrisy here uh, that people see. I'm not necessarily saying that he is hypocritical, but when he is, you know, actively going after or calling people out, um, you know, in politics or social commentary it's kind of kind of all gets entangled a little bit you know i think when people starts when people see someone who is who's made a uh, made money out of calling people out when they've done something wrong uh, yeah it, it's easy it's you want to jump on it yeah i mean the, the other one that uh was in the article was this mention of like fbi informants where there's like a guy who theoretically when he was a kid a white guy 
came to his mosque and it was an FBI guy and and this guy was a famous like bodybuilder, a very distinct distinct um distinctive. Why do I keep fumbling on that word today? Um uh figure and it turns out that he was like in prison at the time or <laughs> like not in the area at the time that he was reporting. And again, this yeah. was something that was talked about in his special as if it was true and names the person or at least mm. made it so that he was identifiable because he was involved in other kind of undercover work. But it wasn't the guy. And he, and he, this wasn't yeah. true in the moment that he's talking about. So where does the line fall then when you're not talking about merely events that happened to you that you're embellishing, but like bringing other people's names into it, other people for whom the audience might be made to feel a certain way or like to distrust or resent or, you know, it's very different yeah. to, to embellish a lie about someone else. Yeah. And it's a delicate subject because you're, you're essentially um, using the story to illustrate racism against a, a, a minority of people in the United States, which, which, you know, exists, it does exist, but, but, because it is a delicate subject, it, you're you're almost doing a disservice to not tell the truth, even if it is for a comedic purpose. You're doing a disservice to that community um, if you're if you're kind of embellishing, because you want you want to say, "Hey, this is happening." And I think there were FBI informants during 100. percent I think yeah. it just post 9/11. Yeah, there were. There's this ridiculous thing of of uh, FBI agents, you know, infiltrating mosques. Um, to try and get intel or, or spy on on people, just like the Muslim community, which is kind of weird, and 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 maybe there are racist undertones to that as well, or overtones, whatever. But yeah, when you're painting, when you're painting, you know, the majority of the population, or you're painting the government as as you know inherently racist, you got to be very careful. You have to be you have to be truthful there. I haven't watched the video. I opened it, started watching it. And then realize I don't know anything of the context here that he's talking to. So I, I, I haven't yet seen the response. However, I did notice some of the comments in that video were from Muslim fans who were reinforcing or agreeing with the situations that he had depicted and uh, attesting to the fact that the emotional truth for him is a factual truth for them. So they either knew the guy or had been um, at a mosque where this uh, supposed FBI guy had come and, and worked undercover or were speaking to their own experiences of racism that, again, were reflected in the um, stories that Hassan told. So it is apparent and easily verifiable that despite the inaccuracies factually of what was happening in Hassan's stories, the resonance was clearly there for those people that had lived that life. So I think mm. we can take his um, uh, ostensible purpose of, of doing this embellishment at, at face value um, because of the response that you're seeing from people that it resonated with. So I, it, totally. it, it worked in that sense. Yeah, I think the way you could see it and, and possibly the way that he sees it, it's like, you know, if you get a, a movie about um, a, someone who was a slave in America, um, a black person who was a slave during that time, 
uh, you, that story, like I'm, I'm talking about, like a, a fictional film that doesn't exist. You could get a story. You could hypothetically get a story about, you know, a, a slave who was, you know, had a had a name, a, fati- a fictitious name, and maybe that that if it's a good movie, it would be inspired by events and real story. You know, kind or, of yeah, real stories. But essentially, that person is a fictitious composite of many people, and it's used to represent the story more broadly and maybe that's where Hassan is coming from maybe he thinks I'm taking little bits from here and there um to represent what I feel uh needs to be told in this particular story I I think that you're right um I think the question is that whether the audiences are bringing the same expectations to a film which already has this artifice of, of well, artificiality. It's, it's, we know that this is not from slave era, so we know these are actors. You might recognise the face of the person who's playing this character. We know it's directors. We know it's a script. You know, this isn't a documentary. So we bring with it an understanding already that as we are watching this, it's fake. It's fake at some level. Mm. There's a difference when you are up there standing there as Hassan Minaj telling a story about Hassan Minaj's life in a format where he's known for examining the real world. I think Mm. that that for all that that's true, that it's hitting an emotional truth. I think there is still a difference in expectation from the audience. Yeah, I think, yeah, format, the format clearly matters. Like imagine if, you know, Hannah Gatsby in, in... you know, in her specials, she you know she talks a lot about her own struggles with I don't know mental health and yeah, other auti- stuff, autism and yeah, depression. Imagine if you know, I mean, that would I feel like if if Hannah Gatsby, if the same kind of article came out about Hannah Gatsby saying, oh well, the doctor actually didn't diagnose you at that particular time or in that particular way. I mean, people people are already you know thirsty to take her down in. In certain areas of the internet, yeah. um, she would be she would be mince meat, um, and so I think you know, I'm not saying she has done that at all. Love Hannah, yeah. Um, I mean, to be but, honest, there uh, is an example of that, right? Because she actually, so in, I think it was Nanette or possibly Douglas, the follow up. She talks art. She talks art for a while. She talks about disliking. I think Van Gogh, Van Gogh from memory. Um, Maybe okay. Monet, but she she takes some pot shots at some of the historical art figures, um, and then there was a gallery in New York recently that actually did a Gadsby curated museum presentation where some of the artworks were put up that she had talked about, and then they're accompanied by Gadsby criticism or historical context. And the reviews of that were fairly scathing. <laughs> they were coming in from like art critics or art historians saying, uh, Gatsby's missing the mark, or this is sort of puerile, or it doesn't really like amount to anything to go there and have this comedian's perspective on art. And it raises questions of uh, competency, I guess, or her qualifications in the art area, which earned her cachet or respect in her comedy but then like some within the industry or within that sphere and and, you know we're we're talking generalities i I wouldn't necessarily say everyone in the art sphere was like 
Hannah Gadsby's wrong. But there was definitely pushback about her, you know, yeah. getting, a, um, what is it, out above her britches or whatever. So yeah. it's interesting to see some of that fact-checking also out there in other contexts. This is not necessarily just Hassan who's getting this attention, um, mm. though perhaps it, for different reasons. Yeah, I guess the, the difference there is well, it sounds like um, the difference with Gatsby's, uh, the pushback that H- Hannah Gatsby was getting, there was like, it was a credentials kind of thing that yeah. was, as you say, earning her cachet to talk about it or give her clout on a specific subject, but not not used to, you know, paint herself as a victim. No. Um, and, like that's not where she's, that, that's not where she's she was. She was using it for comedy. She was talking about yeah. art because she was an art major and she just, that was her special subject, if you like. And it's something funny that she could talk about that no one else was talking about. So it is, it is different. Yeah. yeah. You're not trying to make a social point. Well, actually she sort of was about the minimization of women, but I don't think that was really what the critics of Hannah Gadsby's work were saying was inaccurate or, or, you know, not worthwhile about what she had then presented at the gallery. Yeah, I mean, is uh, who who isn't an art major? You know, like <laughs> yeah. Well, a, I mean, I'm looking... should, people shouldn't be listening to art majors necessarily about art. <laughs> I'm listening to you uh, with your anthropology major in the um, stand-up specials to come. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, yeah, I can. I'm qualified to discuss social commentary, and I've been doing it for eight years now. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Um, in terms of. Uh, the comparators there where do you think someone like john oliver sits like what's your expectation when you sit down to watch a a last week tonight in terms of the accuracy versus the comedy where do you think the balance lies in your brain uh well john oliver's never really to me he's never been his own I mean, he is a, he is a, a character, but he's never the center of whatever he's doing. I've never seen him at the Daily Show uh, last week tonight, or in his stand up. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen his stand up. I've never seen him put himself front and center like Hassan has. So sure. I don't. I see him as completely detached. I, th- I I've kind of dropped off last week tonight for no particular reason, just convenience or whatever. Um, but I always liked it. I always assumed. I mean, I. The thing is with these shows that have that are presenting news with you know maybe some sort of political bent, um, they they can kind of get away with a lot because you know they're kind of just reinforcing you know it's probably going to be you know lefties that are going to be watching that show. I don't imagine that you know too many Republicans no. are watching last week tonight and going, oh, did Trump really say that? That's, yeah, oh, I've never heard that. We should do something um, about the prison so, system. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I see him as, I see him as removed from that in, in a, in a way. Um, and I don't. Yeah, I mean, the factual. I, you do take those shows with a little pinch of salt, I think. Um, and they're not. They, you know, they openly state, you know, that they are not a news program, even though they kind of present as one. Um, it's not. They're, maybe they're more it's trustworthy than the news to some degree. Yeah, but so is but so is the news. 
So they're, they're kind sure. of just doing it in a different way. Um, but yeah, I don't really have strong feelings about John Oliver in that yeah. regard. But you don't think he's ever, um, there's been no case where he's blurred that line for you between like him being a political figure versus him telling a comedic story, um, which no. is not. Uh, he's, yeah, he's had, he's had distance from yeah. that sort of stuff. I think the, the, uh, to sort of perhaps put a bow on this, I think the unfortunate thing for me is that the fact that some of what he's talking about wasn't true for me, Hassan. even as someone Hassan, yeah, to to circle back to Hassan, the thing, the the fact that some of it was fabricated, even if it hit an emotional truth, unfortunately for me, makes me less likely to engage with Hassan in the future. I think there will be a question of, well, but to what extent is this real? To what extent well, should I really care about this? Which is unfortunate because yes. he has been an effective uh, you know, outlet for communicator yeah. for some of those issues. And there's not that many like Muslim comedians out there that are like talking politics for you. It's it's a bit of a pity because I I can't see myself going back there now and being like entirely trusting. Well, it's a it's a real it's it's a it's a very damaging article, and you can kind of see that in his face in this uh, re, uh, rebuttal video that this is kind of undermining his whole game. Yeah, you know, even even if someone's just seen a headline of the article without having read it. Or they've seen some commentary on a, on Twitter or whatever. Yeah. Even the the little bit of doubt in your mind the next time Hassan comes on talking about whatever political issue is going on, that that you're gonna be like, uh, well, I, I, can I? I can't believe this guy. Yeah, and I and mean, I, it's a fair a fair. Um, he, he was probably one of the leading contenders to take over Daily Show. I would say that's yeah. a little bit shaky now. I'm not sure they want yeah. that. Um, I don't think they would. The, even though they're a comedy program. That's the weird thing. That's where he started, you know, like despite yeah. that. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a bit unfortunate that it was sort of this strange self-sabotage. And I have to wonder as well, timing-wise... Like, this had, like, I'm fairly connected to the entertainment news. Like, I'm fairly aware of, like, political comedy. This story passed me. And now, six weeks later, he's come out and he's put the response video out. That's a long time. That's a long time. And I wonder whether this rebuttal either needed to be the week of or not at all. Because now, I, like, I imagine this conversation has exploded again. Yeah. Yeah, I. Uh, the other thing is he in he starts it off saying, you know, I'm I've been like everyone, you know, uh, glued and thinking about the Israel Palestine conflict and yeah, everything fair. else. I'm like, and he does address the fact that like there's bigger things going on in the world, but I did need to address this. And I my first thought was, did you though? Because I forgot, you know, yeah. and I'm sure many people forgot. Yeah, and you know, you could have gone the Russell Brand route, which is I cannot believe how quickly that story blew over, given yeah. how how much like Horrible fanfare. Was, or, yeah. And he is like 
not to, I won't linger on brand, but like that story, it just went, the it spiked life. and then yeah. it went down and he just maybe got demonetized on YouTube, but he's still putting shit out on YouTube. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, he's just do, spitting out the Living same old bullshit. Yeah. Um, so, and I do think there is, you know, there's, I mean, PR, I'm, you know, I'm adjacently in PR um, for my career and it's an interesting time you know, public relations and publicity because there is a lot of accusations and cancelizations and all that jazz and and people are learning how to respond to that. People are learning, okay, do I need to uh, acknowledge the accusations? Do I need to defend them in a certain way? Or do I just wait for it to blow over? And I, I do tend to think that, if, especially if you're a high-profile person, letting things just run out of steam is might be the best way to go. And if you, you know, you've, I guess like integrity is, is, a, is, is to some people important, not to me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if, if you really feel like you need to defend yourself, that's one thing and I get that. But also you might be shooting yourself in the foot by letting it spike in the news cycle again. Yeah. It's, um, it, it would be different, I think, depending on the kind of career you have. Because I think if you are an actor, right, and your face-to-face time, at, like your time on the job, is in a studio dealing with 60 crew members and you had some sort of controversy, you can go ahead and probably deal with a 60-person issue behind the scenes. If your career is front-facing, public-facing communication, that's a very different audience you need to win back over. So I can see the the tactic of, well, I'm fucking Hassan Minaj. I need people to turn up to my comedy club in order for me to get paid. I need you know people to watch my TV show in order for it to get made. Um, I can see why you would need to address this, particularly where your credibility is on the line. And it's not like a did a bad thing, you know, like accused of a crime kind of thing where it's like my fundamental, like trustworthiness is at risk. I can understand wanting to say it and, and put a rebuttal out there. The real cynical, you know, the real cynical argument is, well, there's a big Israeli-Palestinian war on at the moment, and I could flip a rebuttal out there into the world and and then let the news cycle carry that away, but also be able to point to a defense and be like, well, I did, you know, I explained myself and just mm-hmm. hope that, like, this is the time to put something out where it doesn't sit yeah. in the news cycle for very long. That's very cynical. Sure. But it's also not inconvenient if this sort of goes away, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, what does he hope to get out of this? Like, you can't, you can't be expecting as Hassan Minaj, you can't be expecting that this this will stick more than the article. Yeah. So it it is just it is to a degree self serving, which I get. But yeah, maybe maybe he is maybe the timing of it is um, is calculated. Yeah, I guess he doesn't have a TV show at the moment, right? Like Patriot Act doesn't exist. Maybe he was in the running for for Daily Show. But I'm assuming that for right now, his career is out on the road. So it would be about, if there was any sort of career motivation, it would be about the stand-up stuff, right? I guess so. Or possibly to secure a future TV show kind of opportunity. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I vaguely remember not too long ago seeing a podcast or hearing a podcast with him on it, talking like kind of coy, in a very coy manner. He was asked about, um, you know, does he want the Daily Show? And obviously he was, he was like a no-brainer choice. Um, and he was kind of coyly going, oh, yeah, we'll see what happens and stuff, which, you know, subtext, I yeah. really want this job. Yeah. Um, so maybe that, that's got something to do with it. I did see a clip from the Daily Show, yes, two days ago or something. I, I think it was about the Israel-Palestine. And there was like, I did not recognize the guy at all. I guess they are still Jesus going and just... Week. Jesus, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Jesus and Mary. I think it was Jesus. Um, yeah, but they are they're guest hosts. It's like you do, people oh, are coming in and they do a week, and then it's the next person. So I like Sarah Silverman okay. did a week, and then Chelsea oh. Handler did a week, and like they've just been rotating a whole bunch of of people through the chair. Okay. And I guess te- technically some of them will be like auditions for like, hey, we like this person. Hey, they seem pretty good at it. And others are just sort of like, well, wouldn't it be fun if Chelsea Handler had, the, had the desk? Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Interesting. But yeah, yeah, well, I guess uh, I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, not to dwell on this for too much longer, but was there anything in what you heard from like other comedians and podcasts and stuff that you talked about in the past six months? Like, what was the general uh, six weeks? What was the vague like sense of the uh, the se- the sentiment from from what I saw was that uh, people were pretty um, not upset, but they were they were calling him out. Um, and they thought it was they thought it was hypocritical. I mean, I I'm not sure if my social Sphere. echo chamber whatever is the right thing to go by because my algorithm Nick is a little bit all over the place at the moment. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to sort out my algorithm okay. um, at the moment. Okay, <laughs> it's just like Watching it's a lot like of- a me day. I just kind of yeah. like watch a lot of uh, uh, cat. How videos. do you like undo like a right leaning swing? I, I like. I do like. I, I'm not sure if it's a right leaning swing. Okay, sure. it's a center. It's a center swing if that exists. <laughs> yeah, it's like a pendulum. It's just going except it doesn't right move. down the middle. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a pendulum that you're looking at from the side if that okay. makes sense yeah, sure. yeah no, it's going back and forth rather than from the side to side it's like when you have a newton's cradle and you take two balls on each side and release them and the one in the <laughs> middle just doesn't move <laughs> that's exactly what my algorithm is yeah, yeah. um but i'm talking i'm thinking about like guys like bill maher uh, who you love and um, who fan. else um um i can't think of who else but i know that bill maher just it did kind of attack him um on his his own show mm. so i don't know all right well yeah interesting interesting we'll see what the repercussions are whether he ends up with this daily show gig or not yeah hey michael how about some science news okay okay play the jingle for me please computer man it's that time time for science news Good, good vibes. Good tune. Good vibes. Uh, Michael, got a got a food question for you. I love food. 
Okay, it's the 1950s. Michael, you're sitting at the head of the table. You've got your one and a half kids either side of you. The uh, the wife has brought the dinner plate, put it down in front of you at the head of the table. You've got your meat and your three veg. Do you have a order in which you eat the food on that plate? Talk, talk to oh. me. Are we a little bit of everything? Are we a let's eat the veggies first? Like, talk, Walk me through the Michael Meal approach. Can I just say this? This question really hits home. Okay. This has been this has been uh, the subject of quite a few conversations oh, that Lauren and I have had. Interesting. Okay. Topicality. So, uh, if I may, I'll take you back to nineteen ninety three. Okay, I'll close my eyes. I'm there. I've got three tarzans in my hand. Might be a bit too early for that. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm I'm sitting in a I'm sitting at uh, in kindergarten, and I have a lunchbox, and in the lunchbox I have, I have a ham sandwich, and I have, uh, some jelly babies. Okay. And I have some celery sticks. Okay. Good. Now. Four-year-old Michael. Can I say it's a little box. bit ambitious that the parents put celery in a four-year-old's lunchbox? That's a little ambitious. Were you okay. known for liking celery? I'm I'm using celeries as the emotional truth of this story. <laughs> yeah, fair um, enough. Fair enough. It could have been carrots. It, it could have, have been, been carrots. carrots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was your daughter um, who ate the carrots. It wasn't you. Yes, uh, and I wasn't in and I wasn't in kindergarten. I was just at home. <laughs> Um, but th- this is my memory of the story. I opened, I opened the lunchbox and I see, and I start to eat. Now I really want the jelly babies and I go, I go immediately for the jelly babies, but in my head, and I'm saying this because this is the first time I ever decided or realized that the best thing to do would be to save the best thing to last or the, oh. the thing that I wanted yeah. last. Yeah. You know, I marshmallow tested myself. Yeah. So I Deep ate bumped, the sandwich. But yes. I ate the sandwich. I ate the celery or the carrots. And then I ate the jelly babies and I felt really proud of myself. Now, yeah. I have carried that strategy into my adult life. Yeah. Only with food and not with things that actually matter. Yeah. But... You know, just with my whatever's on just my dinner. Just with the food plate. on okay. the plate. Yeah, not with like foreplay or, you know, other people. <laughs> so I I do like to save, you know, the best thing to last. And, you know, on this trip, we're kind of eating out a lot more than we, we would. And, you know, you get like a certain amount of, you know, trying to keep it vaguely healthy. So you get like, you know, your rice, your veggies, and then your protein typically. Yeah. And it's in some sort of thing like that and you know you're not getting a lot of you know getting a lot of meat you're getting a hell of a lot of rice but you're not getting a lot of meat and meat is the you know the high quality the the high reward yeah so lauren and i have have been discussing quite a lot you know she she would i think i've dropped off the saving the best thing till last thing in in recent years and she will always when we're eating like a bowl of buncha uh rice noodles yeah, you know, brothy kind of soup with like pork or whatever. She's always got like five or six, she's always got heaps of meat left at the end, and yeah. I'm always jealous. Yeah. So we've been talking about this a lot. Um, so yeah, I do think that I try to when I'm when I'm just kind of switched on and I'm engaged with my food. I do try and maybe 
at the very least, I'll eat a little bit of everything, but mm-hmm. kind of saving a little bit of, you know, sweet you, bites. You like that end. last mouth, mouthful to be a satisfying mouthful. Yes, that's that's exactly right. The last mouthful can uh, uh, can be the whole meal. Yeah. I have uh, two pieces of uh, feedback on this. One, talking about, um, like, kindergarten or young age um, lunchbox meals, I genuinely think possibly one of the happiest moments of my life would be when I would open the lunchbox at recess and discover, unbeknownst to me, that instead of just my sandwich or instead of just my, like, piece of fruit, mum had sellotaped two smarties to a piece of paper oh. and drawn a little love heart or like a present and slipped it in the oh. in the lunchbox and you open it up and it's two smarties and i was allowed That's... chocolate and i didn't oh, know it was wow. coming and there was this little note i have never hit that high since oh. there is That's nothing drugs. that's ever got me to that before no that is that is a five-year-old heroin That's that crack. is unbelievable unbelievable (laughs) if we could bottle that i would be a fucking millionaire yeah yeah. uh second dunkaroo oh dunkaroos Dunkaroos. yeah with a little bit of the peanut a little bit of the dippy dippy chocolate doesn't get get incredible incredible cuisine what an incredible (laughs) what a australia you know people talk about the lack of australian cuisine but we had it we had it and we let it go. Yeah. <laughs> Are there no, no more Dunkaroos? I don't think there's Dunkaroos anymore. Wouldn't you hate to be a kid now? Like, they, back in the the 90s, they you could have as much sugar as oh, you fucking wanted. Yeah, it's chocolate. They the canteens they... are full of Coke and, yeah. Now Dunkaroos are, you know, carrot sticks and hummus. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. Um, fact number two, I'm very much in the Lauren camp of... Uh, meat management so that by the end of the meal like I still want that even proportion of of the meal all the way through I yeah. I will actively in whatever I'm eating have a little bit of all the things on the fork at once if I've got steak and veggies I'll have a little bit of steak I'll have a potato I'll have some greens I'll have a dunk of the sauce and every mouthful is a microcosm yep. of the plate that is the yes. ideal and I will not move from it the I love the uh in, like disproportionate foods where a reasonable person couldn't maintain the ratio from start to end. Very irritating to me. I hate going to mm. like a takeaway place and maybe you've ordered like a, you know, a pad CU or something and there's four pieces of chicken and you get halfway in and the rest is just fucking noodles. That, yep. I'm sorry, that's a disappointment. Disgraceful. Disgraceful. Yeah. Um, so I, I empathize with Lauren's approach there. KC is very much a, I want to eat the thing that I want to eat most first, and I'll eat all of it. So if you put a steak and some um, potatoes and some veggies on the plate in front of him, he will eat all of the potatoes first. Bang, 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 bang. These are what I want, and I'm eating the thing that I want, and now I've enjoyed them. And then it's onto the second preference, and then it like it's a descending order <laughs> until you end up eating the last thing that you wanted the least at the end. Chaos. Nick, I know. Leave. I know Leave. what you're going to say. Yeah. This this is a slippery slope and it's <laughs> it's a massive red flag. It's a huge red flag. Get out of there. Yeah. Get out of there. Okay. Well, I'll take that um I'll take that on board. 
Okay, all of this was <laughs> just preamble. Is this science news? This was like theoretically the science, a science is, news. Um, I like science that's not so sciencey. Yeah, this is where we went to food. Here's an article in the science Washington... from the heart. <laughs> yeah, emotional science. Um, here's a Washington Post article <laughs> entitled "Here's Why You Should Eat Your Vegetables First." A strategy known as meal sequencing runs counter to the way people often eat and suggests that the order in which you eat your food can affect blood sugar levels and satiety. How full you feel. Scientists have found that it's not just the type of foods you eat that can influence your health and metabolism, but the order in which you eat them. A growing number of studies have found that eating fiber-rich vegetables, protein, or fat at the start of a meal, and eating refined carbohydrates like rice, bread, or pasta last can improve blood sugar levels and stimulate higher levels of hormones that promote fullness and satiety. Some preliminary studies suggest it may even help with weight loss. This strategy, known as food order or meal sequency, runs counter to the way people often eat. It suggests it's better to reach for the basket of bread or chips at the end of a meal rather than eating those high-carb and low-fiber foods at the beginning. Mm, um, interesting. An assistant professor at the University of Pisa in Italy who studies nutrition and diabetes said, we're not asking people to fast or skip meals or avoid specific kinds of foods. We're just saying, please eat low glycemic foods at the beginning of the meal and eat the rest at the end. I like that this guy has put out a study and then he's saying, don't worry, we're not asking you to do anything. It's like, yeah, I know you're not asking me. You're just presenting science or evidence. (laughs) You know, it's, it's fine. Chill out. Yeah. So eating, uh, studies have shown that eating vegetables first can cause your body to secrete high levels of GLP-1, which is a hormone our guts release in response to meals that makes you feel full. This strategy can help prevent large and sustained elevations in blood sugar levels after meals. Um, So starting each meal with vegetables or protein can be particularly helpful for improving blood sugar control in people with type 2 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes. Uh, in one study in Japan where rice is a dietary staple, researchers found that people with type 2 diabetes who were instructed to eat the vegetables before the carbohydrates at every meal for a period of two years had greater improvements in their long-term blood sugar control compared to a control group. Wow. Um, so here's how to follow the food sequencing strategy. Nutrition experts say that you shouldn't obsess over every meal that you eat and eating foods that you enjoy is an important part of life. But if you routinely eat high glycemic foods, which are refined carbohydrates like white bread, pasta, sugary foods, there are some things you can do to mitigate the effect on your metabolic health. For some people, this might include incorporating some elements of the food sequencing strategy and trying to reduce refined carbs. So here's the headlines. Eat nuts first. Consider having a small handful of almonds, which contain fiber and healthy fats, before eating a bagel or a muffin for breakfast. A study found that people who are assigned to eat about 20 grams of almonds, less than a handful, before their daily meals over 16 weeks significantly lowered their body fat, including the dangerous visceral fat that surrounds internal organs. Um, Start with a salad dressed with olive oil. Uh, You can eat your vegetables and protein portions first. Researchers found that when people were fed meals of chicken, veggies, and white rice. They produced high levels of satiety hormones and had smaller and more gradual elevations in blood sugar compared to when they ate them mixed together or in other orders. Limit your intake of high glycemic foods. That's, you know, French fries, white bread, that sort of thing. And don't eat naked carbs. They're simple carbs that are eaten with little or low fat, uh, little or no fat, protein, or fiber. Some examples would be toast with jam, a plate of crackers, tortilla chips, that kind of stuff. Don't eat those things. Just, yeah, 
don't eat them Limit. by themselves. Ideally, they should be paired with healthy fats, protein, and fiber. So put peanut butter on your toast, not jam. Or eat your crackers with cheese and almonds or dip the chips in guacamole. Don't just have the carbs by themselves. Mm. So I wonder as well, because if there's people saying that, you know, eat your meat and veggies first and leave the carbs, the refined carbs to last, like <clears throat> typically you would reach for like the bread before the pasta yeah, or the rice with the, you know, teriyaki, chicken teriyaki. Yeah. Like maybe you are eating less, you're less inclined to eat more of those carbs after you've eaten the meat and the veggies. Yeah, I think you're totally right that like a fullness thing is like if we're assuming that the the food on the plate is perhaps more that you than you necessarily need or would want to eat in terms of feeling full, then front loading the healthier stuff and back loading the less healthy stuff is probably contributing a lot of like doing a lot of the hard work there and maybe it's just the general healthiness of those less you know, those carb foods relative yeah. to the others that's doing a lot of the difference there. But either way, maybe we should be following Casey's uh, approach and just eating a little potato first. Yeah, well, it's annoying that Casey has, like, stumbled into some sort of, yeah, you know, correctness. But um, I still disagree with him on an emotional level. <laughs> well, to be honest, I think probably white potato is probably uh, a carb that... <laughs> isn't included necessarily in the idea of the eat your veggies first, which is probably picturing things more green and, and leafy. Yeah. But um, anyway. Uh, you know, often I tune out with your science news, um, and I think many people do. And I think that was, I was really engaged with. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, and not just specifically because the science news was for the plebs, then I encourage you to go back and listen to more. There's plenty of episodes in the past. There's plenty of uh, places you can interact with us, be it Facebook, Instagram. Flick an email to us at deepfort at gmail.com. You can send through a question. You can send through a comment. You can rate us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your books. Um, how about a quick little mailbag? Okay. Mailbag, mailbag, it's a weekly mailbag. Deep Fort's mailbag. Uh, an email here in our inbox. Thank you, deepfort at gmail, if you want to send something in. Uh, it's entitled Deep Fort. So that's us. They've found the right place. Hey, uh -huh. hope things are well with Deep Fort, smiley face. Not sure if you're looking for guests or want to be a guest, but I wanted to recommend podmatch.com to you. It works just like a dating app, but instead of matching people for dates, it matches podcast guests and hosts for interviews and even pays the host after the interview. I'd love for you to check it out because I think you'll find it really helpful. You can see the 12,075 members here. Feel free to respond if you have any questions or want to chat about anything podcasting related. Alex Sanfilippo. And then his signature says, or her, could be her. This is all capitalized. Helping independent podcasters reach more listeners and increase their revenue so they can change more lives. And then uh, wow. in smaller text under that, it says, I'm a real person. But if you don't want to hear from me, click here. <laughs> I don't know that it's a great this is the This is the age that we're going into now yeah. where we have to declare I am a human. I'm, and fuck, I mean... You couldn't get a robot to write, I'm a human. That would be against the rules. I don't think we could change any more lives just like physically. I don't think we have, I don't, I, can't, I couldn't do it. 
you know, we've changed so many lives already. Yeah. I don't know if we can do any extra 30 or whatever. That's it. Um, thanks, Alex. Um, but Thank I don't you, know Alex. if we need guests. And to be honest, I'm not sure that anyone wants us as guests on their podcast either. So <laughs> we're probably not the service for you. How about some myths, Michael? Myth it up. I got a couple of myths off the bat, but I I I've, I feel like I've just talked a lot. So myth me first, please. All right, I'm gonna have to. I got myths out the wazoo. I've always got a steady stream of myths, so some of these I might have to reconnect with. Um, what have I got here? All right, I'll kick I'll kick this off. Oh, here's, wait, wait, here's wait, one wait, 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 wait! I just realized okay. we need a jingle. Oh, yeah, the jingle. <laughs> Fucking hell. Play it. Michael's Michael's and I offended, aggrieved, irritated, chagrin, pissed off, put out, resentful, and discontented. Michael's all right, so this kind of ties in with our uh, conversation about food. I got a myth where, about when people order food. Okay. Now, I'm not sure how how prevalent this is. I think it might be more prevalent in American culture. Interesting. And by American culture, I mean movies. Okay, so this is a long-distance myth. <laughs> an LDM. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. This is a classic LDM. This is probably one of our first LDMs. I I really I I get super miffed when people when people are ordering food, and instead they say I want the turkey sandwich. They say, okay, so I need a turkey sandwich. I need a coke. They say I need rather than I would like or can I please get? And oh. I just think that's disgusting. Like it's it's uh it's it's I think it's kind of rude, and it's also just like so gross and self-centered i just i uh, just i get miffed michael i feel like we've wandered into difficult territory here given the context of this podcast did this happen to you no so you're this is a straw myth you've built up well, i'm a, not a i'm not a waiter in a restaurant am i yeah but like it's not like you overheard someone do this next to you or witnessed it at a cafe this is a oh, this wow. is a, a this is a classic menage myth where none of this happens. An MM. <laughs> a classic MMLDM. I mean, we, we said this and, is an LDM. And it didn't happen to you. I thought like a long okay. distance myth, yet still you saw it or you were part of it. But no, this is just about a, a, a possibility that could have happened because you might have seen it in a movie. Okay. Well, let me, let me retell this. Okay. I was in a cafe the other day. Oh, what did you order? And... It doesn't matter what I ordered. Okay. But I overheard this guy, this oh. American guy. Yeah. Asking for a turkey sandwich. And instead of saying, can I please get a turkey sandwich to the waiter? He said, I need a turkey sandwich. I need a Coke Zero. And I need it yesterday. That is disgusting. I completely right. understand and support that myth. That's horrifying. There you go. Wow. Hey, Michael, I got That's a myth you for it. you. Tell me. Myth me, bitch. I like to think of myself as a good person. I think okay. I'm I'm helpful. I think I care about others. And the other day we had been walking the dog at the beach and 
we drive uh, back home. And as we come around this roundabout, there is a dog on a lead running loose up and down the street, not attached to an owner, just lead lead loose on the collar trailing behind it. I think that's someone's yeah. dog. So what do we do? Yeah. Pull over. Let's go look at that dog and try and get that dog home because I'm a good person. I don't want other people to, you know, carry me on their shoulders or anything, but I do want you to know it. I go over and I look at this dog. It's on the other side of the street to me. And it's, it's having the time of its life. It is, it is running amok, a tiny little thing, big lead behind it, tears in its eyes. <laughs> the, um, the dog is on the opposite side of the street to me. And I'm about to cross the road to go and grab it. And as I do, there's another car coming around the roundabout and coming across the road. And I see this happening in like slow motion. I'm like, oh dear, this is classic dog behavior to run out in front of a car without looking both ways. So I yep. am, I'm watching this happen. I'm watching the car coming around the corner and the dog sees me because now I'm in the line of sight and I'm an exciting person to go look at across the road. Yep. And I'm like, oh shit. And this dog just bolts in front of this car and the guy slams his foot on the brake. And then this is the myth, Michael. He turns his head at me and he glares and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Get control of your dog. That's what he's saying with his eyes. Ah. Uh, it's not my dog. I'm I, a good I, And he just drove off. And I didn't have a chance to say like, this isn't my stupid little dog. I have a real dog in the car over there. I'm a good person saving yeah. this dog from exactly the situation that almost just happened. I'm I'm the hero. I'm the hero. And I don't want other people to know it, but you need to know this. And the guy just glares and drove off. And oh. to be honest, I think that's entirely unjustified. I think the the disgust with which he looked at me was uh, 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 unbelievable. You know what this is? Tell me what this is. This is cancel culture, Nick. This is cancel culture, Michael. You got canceled by that guy. I got cancer. Is this what it's like? And there's there's nuance. There's nuance <sighs> that you. I'm gonna have to put a note apology up on my Instagram. Exactly. I think you should put it on our Instagram. <laughs> hope it goes viral and hope that prick sees it. Okay, maybe that's the way forward. You can't be judging people without all of the facts. Yeah. People, we keep saying this. Yeah. That's that's the myth. With you on the end, of, end of the story is I did call the dog's owner. The guy on the phone was very disinterested in the fact that the dog was loose. Uh, yeah, I was like, uh, so where I where are you? like I said, oh, well, what is your address? And I can just drop it around to you. Like I've got a car, and he was like, nah. Well, I think <laughs> which road which road are you on? Like I could be there in maybe twenty twenty five minutes. I'm like. Like, yeah. no, just no just tell me where your house is like i'm yeah. sure that you're further away from the house than the dog is the dog didn't catch a lift anyway i pick it <laughs> what up what happened it was around the corner it was this old old grandma and i dropped it over the fence and she was like oh my dog i was like yeah your dog your dog got loose and did you say thank you she did she was very th thankful the guy on the phone which i guess his husband or or someone else was very boyfriend much more like yeah loose about it maybe he set the dog loose maybe that's why it all happened but yeah. um 
Don't glare at people w- when you don't know the full story is my myth. Yeah, that's bullshit. I was kind of hoping that your myth was going to be about this specific dog. Like you had a, you had a, a personal issue with personal this dog. Issue. Yeah. Why, why are dogs? Why are dogs just running around? What I mean, doing? actually where we are, we see so many. I haven't seen a domesticated dog since I left. Yeah. You know, there's just like stray dogs everywhere. And there's like, there's like dogs with like big, big titties, you know, like they, <laughs> what? you know, like, you know, how, have you seen a dog with like huge, like bam bams? They've just like given, <laughs> they've given birth to like puppies and they're just walking around with these like huge saggy buzungas and they're just like, <laughs> they're just, they're just walking around these streets like that. No one, no one owns them. They're just stray dogs, but they're, they're everywhere here. I've never oh. seen so many dog titties in my life. <laughs> And every time you walk past it, you have to say titties. That's that's our rule. <laughs> Is that it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a cultural thing. That's about like fitting in. So my next myth, myth is about celebrities and it's about some specific celebrities that do this one fucking annoying thing. Okay. Then they think they're cool. Okay. And I think they're anno- uh, yeah, annoying. Can I tell you what just went through my head? 40% worry that this is actually something that I do. And that I'm, I'm going to have to pretend that it's not a behavior of mine. No. no. It's nice that you think of yourself as some sort of celebrity adjacent figure. I know um, when I accept awards at the Oscars and that kind of thing, like I try and keep my speeches under five. Like I, I'm very yeah. aware that like there's a TV show going on. We've got to keep it moving. Yeah. doesn't count when you're doing it in the mirror. Um, <laughs> but when when celebrities who know each other call each other by their last names. So, oh. So, like, okay, so I've got specific examples here. Okay. And they mostly involve Jennifer Aniston, <laughs> who I think for <laughs> – maybe my myth is just about Jennifer Aniston. It might be. <laughs> my myth is Jennifer Aniston. Because <laughs> um, she's kind of, like, in with Jason Bateman and, you know, Brad Pitt. She's got some friends. She's in with get, Bateman? Ju- yeah, they're, like – Good pals. They've done movies together. Oh. They're friends. They go to dinner. Her and like Jimmy Kimmel, and I might I might just rope in uh, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski in this okay. as well. Yeah, the brat. But pack. they say they'll be on like a you know a TV show or they'll do be like a podcast maybe here and there. But they'll go, she'll Jason Bateman will be there and Jennifer Aniston will go, hey Bateman, and Jason Bateman will go, hey Aniston. And I fucking hate it. It makes me cringe. <laughs> I've heard it. I've heard it countless times, or maybe like eight. How times. many podcasts are Jennifer Aniston and Jason Bateman doing with each other? This might be like, this might be like YouTube kind of press junket right. interviews or whatever. Okay. Or they'll just refer to each other by their last names. I've seen like Jennifer Aniston again refer to Brad Pitt. She'll be like, "Hey, Pitt." I just fucking hate that shit. I don't think it's cool. I think it's cringe. I know you what you're trying to do, and I don't like it. What are they trying? Stay to in do? your lane. They're trying to be cool. They're trying to be like, uh, like it's not it's not edgy, but it's like, like uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, hey who, yeah, hey, <laughs> well, Bateman, that explains it, you know, because they they know it's Jason. They know it's Jason. I I think it's like um couples who call each other by their last name as well. They think they're being like edgy, or they think they're like the cool couple, or couples that high what? five all the time in public. Okay, this is I'm really this going is a off now. <laughs> <laughs> couples, 
couples that high five each other like they're best friends or like they're like bros or whatever i know what you're trying to do and if you do it cut it out i don't know what you're saying they're trying to do what are they trying to do they're trying like, just to be, be like cool they're trying to be the cool couple they're trying to be the cool because they high friends. five yeah if, if dude, i saw I a couple that, that they were like oh how was your day and then like the husband walks up and just like <laughs> they high five in the living room i wouldn't they're think they're cool i would think what is wrong with them why no, are they I'm high-fiving? talking about a, a public high five in front of friends, in front of people at the bar. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to be Jim and Pam from The Office. <laughs> they the want to be high fivers. <laughs> this is psychotic, Michael. This doesn't make no, any no, no, sense. No, this all started with Jim and Pam. I'm like, I'm starting to realize <laughs> it as I talk. But you're using they're... their first names. <laughs> yeah. But I, it's not about me. They're trying to be Jim and Pam who would call each other by their last Beasley. names when they were friends. Beasley, right. And what was Jim's last name? Help it. They would do it in the office. And I think that has kick-started a movement that is ultimately very cringe. Okay. okay? I feel passionate about this, Nick, and I, I will not tell. be silenced. No, I, 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 I would never silence you. I would just remove it from the edit. <laughs> You were corralling into This was something screaming else. into the void, Michael. Okay, well, you just called yourself a void. You're leaving this all in. And if people agree with me, please identify yourself and email us at uh, deepford at gmail.com. Please back me up on this. If you've ever noticed that and felt the same level of cringe that I have, please let Nick know that I'm not alone in this. Whoa. Whoa, what's my computer? Are the it's phones lighting up? It's getting so hot. What's oh, going on in the background? Let me check this inbox. Oh, oh my God, Michael. Oh, yep. there's, there's, there's hundreds. God, I, I haven't we... even published the podcast yet. And somehow they knew. Nick, is that the postie? Everyone's messaging. Wow, I've never been more wrong in my life. This is something that everyone agrees with. Michael, you really are the voice of the people. Yes. Thank you. I knew it. You know what I hate when I read an article on a web page and you get to the bottom and it scrolls to the next one. Just just leave me where I was. Don't change the don't change the article. Don't change the URL. Just leave me. Name and shame these websites. You know who I'm talking about. Entertainmenttonight.com. <laughs> yeah. That's where I get all my Jim and Pam news. Oh well. Um Oh well. Oh well. <laughs> oh well. At least it's content. Is that what? Is that what that meant? That no, well? it was just like, well, the podcast is done. Oh, oh okay. We had a crack. Oh, well, there you go. We had a crack. Yeah, we had a. Yeah, we gave it a shot. <laughs>